Well, it's good to be back in the second service. Pastor Scott said that we'll see how the first service goes, and if I do well enough, then uh, then I get to do the second service. So um, after the first service, he said I passed, and I can come back to the second service, so I'm glad to be here. As Pastor Scott said, I've known him for a very, very long time, went to the same school. Now, most of you probably don't know this, but 30 years ago, almost within about a month of today, 30 years ago, Scott and I were on the exact same team that won the national championship for soccer. So, seems like it was yesterday, but it was 30 years ago, so um, time goes pretty quick. So, Mrs. Blanchard was my English teacher. So, I said in the, the, the first service, if I make any mistakes, grammatically, we can blame her for that. Um, <laughs> but I also said, you know, we should call her St. Linda because she put up with me when I was in junior high. And so, anyone that can put up with me when I was in junior high, or even really now, um, is definitely a special person. So, as Pastor Scott said, you know, my wife and I were back in Michigan. We've been married for 21 years, and it seems every seven years we move. So we got married, lived in Michigan for seven years, moved to Connecticut. We lived there for seven years, and then we lived in Minnesota. We lived there for seven years, and now we're back in Michigan for another seven years, it appears. So today is September 5th. And most of you, if you weren't in the first service, you probably don't know this, but this is um, a very uh, important and special time in my life because if I reflect back just five years ago to 2016, this very day I was in the ICU, it was day number seven in the ICU, I had a ruptured ulcer and lost a massive amount of blood, and the human body holds eight units of blood, and during my time in the ICU, I received nine transfusions, so I got all brand new blood. Then, a year after that, almost to the day, I was back in the hospital, and this time, uh, they discovered that I had a baseball-sized tumor on my small intestine, so they tested that, ended up being cancerous. And so they cut that out and all my tests after that have come back and I've been clean and clear. So very thankful to the Lord for that. Very thankful that he has given me um, these extra years. Uh, It didn't look real good for me when I was in the hospital. I'm, I'm not a doctor, but it doesn't take a doctor to realize that if they can't figure out how to keep you from bleeding, then you don't live. So it is great to be here You know, my wife, um, she waved her hand. She's embarrassed by doing that, so I'm not going to have her do it. But she's from Honduras, and, you know, uh, we've been married 21 years. Doctor told us we wouldn't have any kids, but the Lord's blessed us with three beautiful children. Ethan, who's 13 and a half, my daughter Eva, who's 11 and a half, and my youngest is Elise, and she is, is 10. How many of you this morning got up and looked at the news. Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, all that. Want me to keep going? MeWe, right? All these. How many of you saw the great news of the things that are going on in the world? 
How many of you saw terrible things that are going on in the world? Right? How would you describe our culture if you saw the news, if you read all the things that were going on? You know, I, I, you know, I just left Minneapolis. A lot of crazy stuff going on in Minneapolis. I was reading about crazy things going on in Portland. And, you know, just craziness going on all over, really, the world. And it's a, our, our culture is in one that needs to be changed. Today's sermon title is called Changing Our Culture. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is from Acts, Acts chapter 19. And we're going to take a look at those verses in a second. Um, how many of you have ever seen a movie, and in the movie, you, you go to a snapshot in time, and they show you all these events that are going on, and then they show you how they got there. You guys ever seen a movie like that? That's kind of what I want to do this morning is um, I'm going to give you a snapshot in time. But before that, I want to paint a picture of what the culture was like in a city called Ephesus. So Ephesus was a Greek city. It was founded in about 1500 BC. And it was a center for the worship of a goddess called Artemis. And this goddess was the main god of the city. In fact, they found an inscription in the city, and it said that this is the goddess who rules our city. So Artemis was the daughter of Zeus. She was the goddess of the hunt and fertility. She had the power to kill women in childbirth. She could kill cattle. She could torment humans by sending monsters. And only occasionally would she render help to humans. In 900 BC, a meteorite crashed into the city of Ephesus. The town went, grabbed the meteorite, and carved an image of Artemis. They also built a gigantic temple in her honor there. I believe that we have a, a picture of that. This temple was the largest building in ancient antiquity. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was about uh, 200 uh, feet wide, 400 feet long, 60 feet high. Each column was six feet in diameter, made mostly of marble, and it took 120 years to complete. In fact, in Ephesus, the entire month of April was known as Artemisian, and that month was dedicated to the goddess Artemis. Every single day was a holy day, and there were sacrifices, there were banquets, and they even had a bunch of games, much like the Olympics, that took place. The city was the cult center for the worship of Artemis. One of the biggest industries in this city was the image making of idols of Artemis. So now you may be wondering why in the world did I bore you with this history? Not everyone is a fan of history, but I wanted to paint a picture of what this culture was like in Ephesus. 
This was the culture for at least 900 years. Day in, day out, week after week, year after year. This is what the culture of Ephesus looked like until the Apostle Paul arrived. And so we're going to take a look at the book of Acts, chapter 19, and we'll be reading verse 23 through 29. About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together along with the workers in related trades and said, You know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited. And the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized Gaius and Artrichus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and all of them rushed into the theater together. So we can see in the book of Acts, and this gives the account of Jesus' ministry being passed to his disciples. Their mission was to proclaim the resurrected Christ and to fulfill the great commission given to them by Jesus. The disciples acted as witnesses to the salvation brought about by Christ. And so I've shown you what the culture of Ephesus was. We looked at a snapshot in time of what was going on after Paul had been there. There was a riot in the city because the industry of idol making was going bankrupt. It was going bankrupt because there was a shift in their culture. And so when we look at all our culture, we may wonder, what can I do to cause a shift in our, in our culture, in my culture, in my family, in my work? What can I do? Is it possible? It's been the same way for, for far too long. We can see here from Scripture that there are things that we can do. Number one is identify the challenge. In Acts 19, verse 1, Paul was traveling. He was traveling through Ephesus. He wasn't intending to stay in Ephesus, but he did. Why? When he got to Ephesus, he set up shop. In fact, he put his ministry center there. And that from that ministry center, Paul and the fellow Christians would go out to other areas of Asia Minor so they could preach the gospel. Why would they do that? Why would they pick such a hostile city, one that was entrenched in the worship of Artemis to build a facility there? Why did they do that? 
because of the gospel need that was in Ephesus. There was a need for the gospel message. There's always a challenge when you want to shift the culture. But when you identify the challenge, you can also see the opportunity. You know, the Bible says that God will plant Christians in specific areas for his use. We read about this in the parable of the wheat and the tares. The Bible says that the sower, who's God, plants sons of the kingdom and daughters of the kingdom. That's us. You know, I shared earlier that uh, in 2017 that I um, diagnosed, I had cancer, they cut that tumor out. Well, later on, I, was, I had to go to some treatment. And I was in my treatment facility there in Minneapolis, and I was sitting there in the room with a lady. Her name is Patty. And, you know, there's no one else in the room, and it, it gets boring in there after a while. So she asked me, she said, introduced herself, asked me my name. I gave her my name, and she said, Jason, are you from the area, or did you have to come a long distance to, to get here? And I said, no, I'm, I'm from, you know, the Minneapolis area. In fact, my office is just down the road. What about you? And she said, oh, I'm not from here. I'm from the state of Michigan. And I said, wow, that's amazing. I said, I grew up in Michigan. And in fact, I have a house that I'm renting out in Michigan right now. And she said, well, where, where's your house at? I said, oh, it's on 24-mile road in between Mound and Shelby. And she looked at me and she said, that's amazing. She said, I live off 24-mile and Mound. And I said, wow, that is amazing. And we kept talking, and we were talking about life and kind of the things that we were going through and why we were there. And she said, you know, Jason, one of the things that I'm most fearful of is that I am going to die and I can't find peace. And I told her, I said, Patty, I can tell you something for sure is that all of us are going to eventually die one day. And she said, I understand that, but my biggest concern is that I'm going to die without peace. And I said, well, you know, God gives us peace. We can have the peace that you're looking for through relationship with Christ. And so while I was in that, that treatment room, I was able to uh, pray with this lady and have her receive Christ. I figured I was in a good spot, not like she could just get up and leave. So kind of a captive audience. But that's where I was planted for the day. So I figured I might as well make the most of it. The second thing I want us to see is that we need to plan a course of action. Paul did this. If we're going to shift the culture and change the culture, we must have a course of action. Paul had two things that he did. He had the method, and then he had a message. Paul's method, he was a tent maker. We know that from Acts chapter 18, verse 1. And when he would go to a town, he would set up shop in the city center, and he would sell tents. But that's not all that he did. The Bible says that he also went to the temple, and he spoke there at, at the synagogue for, for three months. That did not go well for him. The Bible says that uh, people maligned him and maligned what he was teaching. And so he shifted 
And then he started going to a lecture hall and he would speak there every single day. Now, I don't know, maybe Pastor Scott has a sermon for every single day, but that would seem to be like a lot of work to put together a message for every single day. But that is what he did. But what was Paul's message? Was it a complicated message? No, it was a very simple message. It was the message of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ crucified. You know, the, um, it's, it's interesting because the message that people are looking for is the message that we have. We have that message. People are looking for hope. People are looking for peace. People are looking for answers. And the answers that we have are the answers that they want and the answers that they need. You know, the, uh, the thing I like a lot about Lake Point is that they have a consistent message and they use different methods to get that message out. So right now they have LP kids. Sunday evenings they have LP students. On Wednesdays they, they have the young adult group. Sundays and throughout the week they have life groups, which if you're not a part of, I would highly suggest you joining. Those are really amazing. And they do the different methods so that they can push the, the, the same message, the message of Jesus Christ. That's the message that Paul taught. That's the message that the other apostles taught. That's the same message that Jesus Christ taught. The kingdom of God is here. Repent and be saved. You know, the other thing I want us to see if we want to change our culture is that we have to stay committed. The apostle Paul didn't show up in Ephesus and, you know, he got ran out, you know, of the synagogue there. He didn't say, well, I did my best. I was here for three months. They didn't want me. I'm going home. He didn't do that. He went to the lecture hall. He was there for two years. Two years. Every day. Giving the same message to the people who at times probably were apathetic to it. And I'm sure that he heard the heckles. Don't you know that this is the city of Artemis? We don't want your Jesus here. But his message was consistent and he was committed. You know, my first uh, stint in Michigan, I was a youth pastor at a church just up the road from here. And I had a neighbor kid. And every day when I get home from work, I would go over and shoot baskets with him and some of the other neighbor, neighborhood kids. And we shoot baskets. And at the end, you know, when we're wrapping it up, I would always say, hey, listen, um, Sunday, you know, we have youth group, you know, maybe you want to come out. If you do, let me know. And they said, no, we appreciate it, but we're good. I said, all right, that's fine. Next week, shoot baskets, invite them out to church. No, that's cool. We, we don't want to go. Week after week, I invited them. I invited this kid to come to church every week for over a year. Finally, one day we're shooting baskets and he says, hey, Jay, um, I'm taking a religion class in high school and I don't have any religion. So I just thought maybe I'd come to church with you on Sunday. Maybe I could get some religion. What do you think? 
and I said, that sounds awesome. Love to have you. Come on out. We'll give you all the religion you can handle. And he said, that's awesome. Can I bring my cousin? And I said, sure, you can bring your cousin. So he brought his cousin. Both of them got saved that night. They went home, told their brother. Brother started coming out to church. He got saved. Then their mom came out to church. She got saved. Then I was able to baptize all of them. And this young man married a young lady from the youth group, and they had me perform their ceremony. In addition to that, this young man and his wife and their kids attend here at Lake Point. And so staying committed is worth it. The other thing I want us to see is that we need to be willing to pay the cost. There's a cost to be paid for wanting to change a culture. We can see this all through scripture. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John were arrested for preaching the gospel. Acts chapter 5, all of the apostles were arrested for preaching the gospel. Acts chapter 8, Stephen was killed for, for, for proclaiming the gospel. Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas were arrested and thrown in jail. For what? For preaching the the gospel. In Acts chapter 19, we see that there is a riot in the city. Why? Because the gospel was being preached. You know, if you want to influence and change lives, there will be a cost to be paid. Sometimes it'll be a smaller cost, sometimes it'll be a greater cost. I remember. Uh, this is probably about seven or eight years ago or more. I was living in Connecticut, and I flew out to Minnesota for work. We had a facility out there. One of the gentlemen there invited me to a basketball game to see the Timberwolves play, so uh, we went and watched them lose. And afterwards, he said, hey, listen, if you don't got anything else to do, I thought maybe we could go to an adult venue and just have a good time. And I said, you know what, if that's your thing, that's great, but I'm just going to hop a cab and, and go home or back to my hotel. And he said, oh, that's right, I forgot. You know, Jason is this good Christian boy, goes to church and preaches at his church, and good Christian Jason doesn't want to go to a place like that. And I said, man, you know what, I really appreciate that. I said, I... It means a lot to me that, that you've noticed that about me, and I, it means a lot. And he said, listen, I'm not complimenting you. I am trying to mock you. And I said, well, I understand that you think it's mocking, but it means a lot that you notice that about me, so thank you very much. And he was kind of annoyed, and, um, which I guess I'm good at doing to people. <laughs> and so he took me back to my hotel. Well, a little while later, he was back, he was in Connecticut, and we went to lunch. He wanted to go to lunch with me, and I asked him, I said, hey, how's, how's everything going for you? And he said, do you really want to know? And I said, yeah, absolutely. He said, well, I'm going to tell you. So he went through, and he was telling me all these things that were going on in his life. And he looked at me, and he said, I have no idea 
how to fix any of this. Do you? And I said, well, I can tell you right now that you, you can't fix this. I said, but God can. And he said, well, I don't even know what that means. And I said, well, listen, start, you, you got to give your life to Christ. When you give your life to Christ, right, that's step one. Then step two is you got to give all these issues to Christ and let him work. And he said, I don't think that would ever work. And I said, well, you know what? Why don't you give it a 30-day trial? Give your life to Christ. Give your problems to Christ. And after 30 days, you're not completely satisfied. You know, we'll talk again and, and we'll come up with something different. And he said, okay, I'll give it a 30-day trial. So he did. And he flew back to Minnesota. He was back out in Connecticut about um, 30 days later. And we went to lunch and I said, how are things going? And he said, Jason, you wouldn't believe it. And I said, you might be surprised. Tell me. He goes, things have never been better. The relationships that were strained have been repaired. And where I was at in my life, that's not who I am anymore. He said, it's, it's, all, it's all different. And I said, that's awesome. And it's because, of, it's because of Christ. You know, the other thing I want us to see shifting the culture, you know, after we are willing to pay the cost, is that we can experience the change. So what were the results of the gospel message in this city that was the center of worship for Artemis? In fact, before today, how many of you had ever heard of Artemis? Some, probably not many, right? Lots of people have heard of Jesus Christ. The result was a changed culture. In fact, people left their former lives and started following Jesus Christ. Bible says that people took their scrolls and their books of divination and witchcraft and sorcery, they took it to the center of the city in a protest and they burned them all. Bible says that the total cost was 50,000 drachmas. Now, we may not know exactly what a drachma is unless you Google it, um, which I've done for you. Uh, so a drachma was a silver coin, and a silver coin was a day's wage. So the total burning of material was 50,000 days wages, or about 140 years. Also estimated to be about six million dollars. In fact, such a great number had turned to follow Christ that the industry of making idols was going bankrupt. It's interesting that the industry went bankrupt because lives are being changed. It wasn't because they made you know signs and they went and they picketed in front of the silversmiths that were making the idols, they weren't protesting them, they weren't trying to cancel them on, on social media, they weren't calling for all that stuff that, that goes on. They didn't do any of that. They didn't waste their time with that. They focused their time on where it was most important. And a lot of times, I think that Christians were so well-intended, but we get confused with what's our job and what's God's job. Our job is to share the message of Christ. 
God's job is to change hearts and lives. That is not our job. There was a, uh, a man that I worked with when I worked at General Motors. He was about 60, and he had just recently came to Christ. And he was a very charismatic man, and so he was telling everybody that uh, he had just came to Christ, and he was a great witness. And, but, you know, he came out of the shop floor area, so he had really, really rough language. And I was wanting to let him know that, you know, God had a different plan for his vocabulary than what he was using. And so he came to me and he said, hey, Jason, listen, I just finished my Bible study that I was doing. Got any good books that I should read from the Bible? And I said, well, you know what? Read James. It's an easy book to read. It's only five chapters, and you should be able to get through it pretty quickly. He said, okay. So he came back, and he said, you know what? He goes, I've been reading James, and you know what? I said, tell me. He said, I think I need to clean up my language. And I said, okay, we can pray that God helps you with that. And so, you know, we need to let God be God, and we need to let us be the witness. You know, a lot of times, you know, we think that, you know, people don't want to hear what we have to say. And that's not true, right? Because the Holy Spirit's already working in their lives. In fact, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3.11 that God has written eternity on the hearts of mankind. Well, why did he do that? He did that so that people will seek him. In fact, people could be, you know, asking God, hey, God, if you're real, send someone to talk to me. Maybe that's us. Maybe God brings that person across our path, and we're supposed to talk to that person. You know, a lot of times, you know, we may look at a culture, maybe it's our family or our friends or coworkers, uh, neighborhood or city or even more, and we look and we say, it's impossible. There's too much. There's too many. But remember, a changed culture is made up of changed people. It only takes one to start the change. And God is planting each and every one of us in specific areas so we can be that change, so we can bring the message of hope, so we can bring the message of reconciliation, so we can bring the message of peace. You know, in Greek, the word for acts is praxis. And this was used to describe the achievements of great men, great men doing great achievements. However, in the Bible, what we see is that the book of Acts is about God doing great works through ordinary means by a great God. And that same great God that used ordinary men through the book of Acts is the same great God who will do extraordinary acts through us if we are willing to change our culture. Scott, you want to come on up? I'll pray. Lord, we, we thank you for today. We uh, thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that it is. And Lord, I pray that uh, you will help us, Lord, as we go out, Lord, to be willing to uh, change our culture and to uh, be the one who makes the change, Lord. Lord, help us to share your word, to share your love, to share your gospel of truth with people, Lord. Prepare their hearts now. We ask this in Jesus' name.